This episode is brought to you by DungeonNotebook.com, makers of the Tome of Delving, a hardcover notebook for keeping track of your 5th edition character. It has a place for your stats, your spells, your familiars, your inventory, all the essential things that each class needs, plus plenty of room to write down your adventure. The book comes in an awesome dust jacket and even has a ribbon bookmark so you don't lose your place. Go to DungeonNotebook.com and upgrade your character sheet today. What's up and welcome to Difficulty Class, a podcast about all things Dungeons and Dragons. I'm one of your hosts, Allie Deichman, and with me this week is... Trevor Bettis. And that's right. This week we will be doing a Ghost of Saltmarsh review and also talking about using D&D books for homebrews, as well as answering some listener questions at the end. Trevor, how are your games this week? My game was really good and a lot of fun. Uh, Golem Pals are continuing their adventure through hell in Avernus <laughs> and whatnot. And uh, they uh, they got a Mad Max car. Ooh. They got their war machine. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> you gotta love how casual um, you can just say, yeah, they're just continuing their way through hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, so, uh, so yeah, they got their war machine. They're, they're blazing a trail across the hellish wastes. And... Uh, I, w- w- without saying like the location or name or anything like that, essentially they went to a place where there were a lot of stores in hell. Oh. Um, yeah, and I didn't think they were gonna buy stuff, and I was wrong. <laughs> uh, Uthal now owns an abyssal chicken. Okay, and a, cute. And a larva. Do you know what a larva is? No, in but D&D? it sounds like it could be problematic later. It's um. It's like I don't. It, it, it apparently it comes from Hades, uh, and they're giant, medium-sized creatures that have the body of a nasty slug worm and a human head on top. Wait. And he bought one. <laughs> Wait, hang on. <laughs> yep. All right. It's apparently, it's apparently like the the like the sentence for some evil being or something like that but now he's got a worm with a human face on it Mm. so that's great (laughs) (laughs) um and let's see what else happened oh um they're now upgrading their war machine because i figured screw it why the hell not yeah uh (laughs) there there's this thing in the book called a screamer an infernal screamer or something all right for the war machine that is a wax replica of a humanoid person who has barbed wire wrapped around them and a crank between their shoulder blades and as you crank it it telepathically screams in pain at someone causing psychic damage and and they're like we want that i'm like that's disgusting as fuck (laughs) that's that's like some silent hill shit you want no and so i was like you know what you know i'm gonna make i'm gonna make this cool you have a dummy replica of coma the doof warrior from (gasps) mad max fury road yeah And when you activate it, it fucking strums its guitar and psychically fucks up someone that way. I love it. I remember you posting that on Twitter and I was thinking about that. I'm like, how did he do that? How did he pull that off? (laughs) So that's going to happen. Also, a fun story plot thing. One of my players uh, uh, met the fiend who controls his contract and found out for sure that it was just an in-between fiend. And Asmodeus actually holds his contract. Big ol' yikes. <laughs> yeah, so that was fun. Uh, what about you? How are your games? 
I had three games this week. Uh, they were quite fun. Yeah. Um, so ran the Wednesday game, uh, the Neverwinter, the Winter, Neverwinter guys, and um, so they're still going through the like Fandelver kind of ancient white dragon mess, and they managed to get through Mountain Toe's gold mine, um, and. I kind of changed up a lot of the monsters in there because go figure it. They're level 16. So <laughs> <laughs> instead of level, you know, two. Um, so they had to deal with uh, a lot of the main bad guys and not bad guys from um, Tyranny of Dragons. That's the name of the book. Oh, I had to look yeah, around yeah. and look at it to remember. But <laughs> um, like you remember that undead, well, the the, the white from Tyrannia Dragons at all. Yeah, 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 yeah. Where he's like, you know, I, I'm not really a big fan of what this new leader of the Cult of Dragon is doing, so I'm going to hang out here. It's like I, I instead made them just a simple bad guy that is under, like, this white dragon. And he, they're not they're not a fan of being <laughs> in this position. Not a fan. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they've got a half dragon that... I pretty much just pulled straight from Tyrannia Dragon stat blocks of just like, yeah, it's a level like CR 11 half dragon or something like that. And I made him a white half dragon instead of a blue one. And okay. they had a, a good time. Uh, the the rogue literally snuck through the entirety of the dungeon and discovered do. the four entrances into the area where those two characters were at. And the players went in there and they pretty much just wiped him out. <laughs> and I can't wait until they figure out what's gonna like what's in the rest of the the dungeon, because that's where a lot of the media of the story is gonna be from. Okay. Um, and then we did our wonderful Pathfinder game, and that was actually quite a lot of fun. Um, previously on, we were in the middle of a big old puzzle labyrinth situation, and we there were spinning rooms involved. It was a lot. <laughs> oh God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Like, kudos to Wiz for, like, DMing that, because I can only imagine doing that myself, and I don't want to. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But we pretty much finished out the puzzle by um, talking to one of the creatures that was in there. And at first, it was like, oh, this thing's going to murder us. And then I'm like, I'm going to see if I know what the heck that is. And it turns out it was a, a, what was it, a, a dark sphinx. Oh, and these these guys love puzzles. They uh they they like puzzles and mazes and stuff. So I'm like, hey, anyone got a riddle? We can probably talk to her. <laughs> she heard this <laughs> and was like, well, if you're willing to talk, I can give you a deal. If you break free my bond, then maybe I could let you go free. And we're over here kind of like underhandedly like, oh, well, we could probably just kill her and go away. But I'm like, but wait, I'm the bard here. I shall wish to do that. What's holding you here? <laughs> Turns out it was just a simple like binding spell because she had like a a magical situation. So I'm like, can I just cast dispel magic at fifth level? And it totally worked. Nice. (laughs) And so she's like, great. I'm going to go murder this dude now. And we're like, (laughs) great. That's actually going to solve another one of our problems. Have fun storming (laughs) the castle. We're going to (laughs) go. That's fantastic. Um, and so that was, it was a lot of fun and we actually got to close out a chapter in that campaign as well. So now we're moving on to the next piece. 
Um, and then the third game <laughs> was actually the Roomy Romer campaign that I'm doing. Yeah. yeah I don't know if you want to give too many spoilers about that since it's going to be a show now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll just kind of talk about it briefly. Like the majority of us sitting down was actually just kind of figuring out the technicalities of recording it <laughs> because uh, we finally got our production value upped a little bit because Trevor and I are now uh, sharing the wealth of our mics and booms and all that good stuff because mm-hmm. COVID my, has kind my of prevented kitchen us. Is, my kitchen is very empty now. <laughs> like that, we, like like after you came and picked up all the equipment, my um, Tar and I walked through the kitchen. We're just like, what happened here? <laughs> This looks like the remnants of something. <laughs> so it was it was a matter of trying to record with those three mics in the mixer and then the Yeti into my computer. And we eventually got it figured out after like an hour and a half. <laughs> there you go. But uh, we were able to get through an encounter, which actually was one of the starting encounters from the Ghost of Salt Marsh. Um, oh, hey, relevant. Yeah, from one of the adventures. <laughs> so I'll be talking about that later. But... Um, for the sake of not spoiling this podcast itself and not mine, I'll leave that till later. But so far, it was a, it was a lot of it was a lot of fun. I'll say that. Nice. Uh, well, let's move over into some broadsheets, uh, and uh, some some interesting stuff happened this week. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Wizards announced a whole new book. Uh, Tasha's Cauldron of Everything is announced for a November release. I actually failed to get the exact date now that I look at my notes, and I'm very mad at myself. November 17th, to be exact. There you go. Um, yeah, this will come out, and it is uh, basically another Xanathar-type book, which I guess is now the Of Everything se- <laughs> section. I, that's yeah. not, I did not expect... <laughs> that to be the moniker that kept going through it but here we are my friend marcos he literally texted me a link to the announcement page and then he also sent me a link after that of directly due to the thesaurus page to everything so it's like <laughs> they could have used literally any other word yeah yeah no like cauldron of things cauldron of stuff cauldron <laughs> of awesome just something yeah. i was just like because like tasha's cauldron of sounds cool and then everything i'm like what <laughs> is everything in the cauldron? Like they could have done like a brood secrets or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, to keep like, the like, theme of the- a cauldron and also new stuff. <laughs> like Xanathar's Guide to Everything just sounds funny. Like it's a it's a little funny little thing, and you know Xanathar's kind of wacky, murderous kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but like this one, I was, at that one, I I saw it was the first thing I saw when I woke up, and I went, what? Yeah, I mean, we get a new book. All right, cool, whatever. But okay. <laughs> Uh, let's real quick take a look at what is coming in this with the bullet points provided by Wizards of the Coast on their website. Expanded subclasses. Try out subclass options for every Dungeons & Dragons class, including the Artificer, which appears in the book. Uh, more character options. Delve into a collection of new class features and new feats, and customize your character's origin using straightforward rules for modifying a creature's, uh, or, sorry, a character's racial traits. Introducing group patrons, uh, whether you're part of the same criminal syndicate or working for an ancient dragon, each group uh, patron option comes with its own perks and types of assignments. Spells, artifacts, and magic tattoos. Discover more spells as well as magic tattoos, artifacts, and other magic items for your campaign. 
Expanded rules option. Try out rules for sidekicks, supernatural environments, natural hazards, and parlaying with monsters, and gain guidance on running a session zero. Mm-hmm. And lastly, a plethora of puzzles ready uh, to drop into any D&D adventure. Puzzles of very difficulty await for your adventures, uh, complete with traps and guidance for using uh, the puzzles in your campaign. Yeah. So it looks like we finally know what all of those UAs were for. <laughs> yeah. If you want to know more specifics about what's in there, you can actually follow that uh, hashtag ad chain that D&D did. Because um, people, individual creators actually went on to tell you what was in the book. Like, I know for sure mm-hmm. the genie warlock has been confirmed. The yep. um, the psychic sorcerer has been confirmed, <laughs> interestingly yes, the, enough. Yes, the psionic mind sorcerer has been confirmed, as well yep. as the Iron Man artificer, which yep. we both loathed. <laughs> yeah, if you could see us, we're both a little cringing right now. It's going to be, yeah. I, hopefully, fingers crossed, hopefully they're much improved and not just for those you know min maxers who want to be op because yeah uh so they showed uh another person showed some of the interior artwork uh Mm -hmm. one of which has like this absolutely beautiful nighttime image of tasha on a glowing mushroom with a satyr in the back and baba yaga's fucking hut just chilling in the background i was at first like but wait, so it's like Baba Lazaga and Trevor corrected me. He's like, no, Baba Lazaga's hut has like tree root for, for legs, right? Mm-hmm. So this is this is chicken legs. This is legitimately yeah. Baba Yaga here. Unless yeah. they're and, really uh, skirting that copyright situation. <laughs> well, th- there's no copyright on Baba Yaga. She she is a, a folklore uh, cre- uh, thing. Like the, the, oh, the, the chicken leg hut is actually from folklore. True. Um, but it's just so and... interesting that, that they now decide... Like, ah, I could just go in for it with 5th edition. When, especially in, like, with Ravenloft, they kind of were, like, making yeah, levels I, I, in there. I think the main reason is because Baba Yaga is, like, a god. And they were like, okay, we want to have something like Baba Yaga in Strahd, but not something more powerful than Strahd. <laughs> we want an off-brand Baba Yaga. <laughs> yeah, we want an off-brand Baba Yaga. <laughs> um, I mean... And then some... Oh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I mean, because it kind of makes sense that they did that, considering... Uh, Tasha's story is that she's the adopted daughter of, well, at yes. least one of them, of Baba Yaga. So it's like... Let, let, let's actually like take a quick moment to talk about oh, Tasha yeah. herself. Uh, you, you brought this up originally. <laughs> it was in the back of my mind. Uh, but uh, let, let, go, go ahead and talk to the listeners real quick about this. Yeah, so I had kind of reservations about the fact that of all people, it was Tasha that was being kind of the forefront of things because... She kind of has, like, been described over the series of times that she's been in books and also in, like, editions and campaigns where it's like, she has a penchant for sexual manipulation. She's that kind of archwizard. She's pretty much deals with demons a lot, and a lot of those demons uh, stem from, oh, God, what's his name? Like, Grizzlix or whatever his name is. Oh, yeah, I don't know how to say it. Um, but essentially, it's 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 really, really poor taste, bad in your mouth, kind of, ooh, I don't want to run that in my game kind of demon. Um, yeah. Not to mention, like, her origins are a little, uh, like, icky is the best word I would use. Because it essentially kind of started with, and there's no 100% concrete thing saying that one is also the other, but it kind of ended up that way. 
Um, Gygax had actually gotten this letter literally written in crayon from like a little girl asking for more laughter to be in D&D. So Gygax's response was to create literally a new spell, Tasha's laughter. And uh, somewhere in between that spell being created and I believe it's like you said third edition. Yeah, the the she was first all that in. I could dig up through uh, some some wiki digging was that um, at some point between there and at least 2005 with a, a, a dungeon magazine, the whole like oh Tasha uses sex to manipulate people and she wears extremely skimpy clothing and stuff like that came in. I'm just like okay. So this character's origin was a little girl writing in a letter, and now that character who has possibly, from what some people say, the same name as that little girl is. Oh, that's just no. Yeah. No. So, so like the the other half of that is that it could be two completely different separate entities, but a lot of the writers have kind of decided that it is. Yeah. Um, because Tasha isn't actually her real name. It's oh God, I've never even actually heard it said, but it's like Igwilv. It's it's yeah, a really Ig- odd name. Igwilv, yeah, something yeah. like that. Um, but she essentially was huge in Greyhawk. Um, she was in uh what was it, the seven? I forgot party, the party of seven. Companion Company the, of Seven. That's what Company it was. of Seven, there we go. Yeah, and uh she was kind of showing as Tasha to be yeah. able to hang out with them, but then like Nolzer really into- from like the the name that the minis are named after right now is was in that group. Yeah, um, <laughs> so really big Greyhawk character, like she mm-hmm. really big into that setting. And besides the whole like everything about her, because she also wrote the God, it's a really this is another weird name, but like the, the Demonanata. <laughs> <laughs> De- I, well, I thought it was Demonomicon. There it is, Demonomicon. Yeah, yeah. yeah so she... They, they were just like, hey, that Necronomicon's got a cool sound to it. What if we just yeah. named it the Demonomicon? Oh, Demonata was the uh, book series that Darren Shan... Yeah, that was the Darren Shan uh, yeah. <laughs> book series. Oh, God. Sorry, I got that confused. Um, yeah, and it's like she, she pretty much wrote that. She didn't initially write it, but she has taken over it and... Because she has so many affiliations with demons that she is able to write that book. And that book itself yeah. is essentially a tell-all about demons, about their true names, yeah. about how to deal with them and how to con- like contain them and how to uh, use in f- them. In fact, in the uh, artwork that was being shown by this person on Twitter, uh, it, uh, the Demonomicon is, is there. Yeah, the artwork shown is also something that it makes me feel conflicted because it feels like as if they're doing two very different things there. It feels like they're trying to reclaim her away from that. Like very obvious. She's like super sexualized, uh, witch lady. And they're yeah. trying to make her into, no, she's just got the witch aesthetic because that's who she is and her mother. Um, and she's super powerful. It's like, but at the same time, they're still holding on to like, yeah, we, they're trying to like reclaim her in her art. Because especially with yeah. that, with the art cover for the the cover of the book, it's like she's got fully head to toe, big old witch hat. I love it. If I could dress like yeah, that, yeah. Sa- yes. Same with the uh, same with the interior one. Like, yeah. it, it, she's in a black cloak and got the witchy hat on yeah. and everything like that. So like you've and... got fairies flitting around her, being very interested and excited about her, and she's got like a small smile on her face. But then you look in the background, there's fucking Baba Yaga there, <laughs> and so yeah. it's like it's very like just 
a lot of opposites happening in this book where it's like, oh yeah, she's feeling very approachable and um, this not like sexually pervasive kind of person who wants to manipulate people. And then also you have like the demon demonomicon. I can't yeah. even say that correctly. So it's <laughs> it's very uh, what's the word when is things are just working against each other? Conflicting. Conflicting. It's very yeah. conflicting for me, and I'm not exactly sure how I feel about Tasha being the main thing here, especially since there's other really good female five E even uh, like, like arch wizards I, I think... and magic types. <laughs> Yeah, like I think because I think they were trying to like again do this this theme the of everything part is like uh, okay well we had the Xanathar do the last one he's a villain so we should have a villain do this one as well I think that's what they're trying to do with it but for me like if they're gonna do this like I I really think we need a big rewrite of Tasha like. Oh, it's like yeah. nope, that's the that's the Greyhawk Tasha. We're leaving that in the past. Yeah. Um, we acknowledge that it was bad, and this is Tasha as uh, as a new entity. And really, the reason, like, well, not really, like that just needs to happen. But like, the timing with this, and then a Twitter post that came out uh, is not great. Um, the uh, screenshot came out of a post that Gary Gygax made on a forum in 2002, which is not that long ago. Yeah, um, not the 70s. <laughs> and and I, I'm just gonna read one quote from this. Uh, the topic was about women playing D and D, and uh, he said, "Quote: As a bi biological determinist, I am positive that most females do not play RPGs because of a difference in brain function." They can play as well as males, uh, but they do not achieve the same sense of satisfaction from playing. That, if you are unaware, is extremely fucking sexist, and you yeah. should now be aware of that and you know figure out what way you're thinking. Um, that, along with you know having Tasha in here, if she is still this like you know I'm all I'm manipulate people sexually and all of this stuff and not a like a character with depth that's a big problem that's a really big problem yeah i'm i'm also just sad that they didn't just make it a like l'oreal silverhand book yeah and 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 yeah like freaking vajra i i, oh, I vajra would have been so cool i i freaking you know post the mini that i pay this way i love vajra she's one of my favorite fucking characters in D. &D. i would buy every book that had her on the cover <laughs> like, vajra would have been great she yeah she's like the head of a, a really good respectable guild she's the black staff she's the black staff so she has immense power you know it's like she would have been yeah. perfect yeah. yeah um so yeah i like I'm excited for the stuff that is in this book. Uh, I'm excited to hear that they're doing that. This is the book that they were talking about that has the options for uh, races, you know, changing how origins is done. And, and I like that they said origins and not just race. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there we're in a time right now in D and D where there is a lot of problems. Um, and it's not that they are just now coming up. They've always been there, but now you know, we need to face them and react to them and correct them. Yeah. And that's why, like, yeah, is, you know, having Tasha on the front of this is, is, I don't, I don't know <laughs> about that, man. That's not, it's not a great move in my opinion. I mean, 
the the only the real issue is is that I'm worried about Tasha because of how she's been presented in the past. I am yes. excited for how this will happen in this new book because I know that there's a lot of people that worked on this book that are really good people and are really for yes. present like forward thinking ideas that are the opposite of old Tasha. <laughs> um, Orion put out a tweet and said that this was the book that they had worked on something for, but don't doesn't know if their work is going to be in it. Yeah. So this is this is the book that a lot of people. A lot of good people were working on. So yeah, mm-hmm. it, it gives me hope that uh that they've corrected things and fixed things yeah. and, you know, faced things. Um I'm also just and, but we straight didn't... up glad that they have a session zero guidance and also a way to how to parlay with monsters. I mean, that's kind of a given for like yeah. players like us that are really into like role playing and less so just pure combat. But some yeah. people who are into just pure combat do need that extra guidance and how to do things that doesn't just end up with both sides hitting at each other until one side is dead. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the, if, if you want to check out the artwork and whatnot, we've retweeted it and whatnot. Um, and they have the entire rundown on the D and D website. You can see what's in there. And if you want to, uh, learn more about Tasha herself, I recommend doing some wiki diving and, mm-hmm. um, and seeing what you think. And Yeah. Well, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we're going to talk about this one again. Um, the other thing that they announced alongside this was D and D Celebration, which is happening September 18th to 20 the, to the 20th, uh, and it uh, says join D and D Celebration 2020 from home. Uh, it allows everyone to take part in the event from their own home. Gather uh, your party, go online, and join us for a weekend of play, panels, and celebration. So that's pretty much the most amount of info that we've really gotten um there yeah. is there's going to be adventure league stuff going on which is a two-hour adventure that you can join and do i think you have to pay to get into that um which is fine because what they've said is all proceeds from any part of this is going to extra life and children's miracle network hospitals so fantastic work there there's also a shirt that you can get that will go that will support extra life uh and it funny enough has three kobolds in a trench coat so yes. podcast three kobolds in a trench coat you, you, you can get something that's got it on there and you didn't even have to do anything for it this is great uh, <laughs> um uh so yeah that's uh that's some good stuff i'm excited to see what they do there hopefully some of the panels there are going to talk more about uh, Tasha's cauldron of everything and maybe even talk about some of these issues that we're talking about right now yeah this is also a huge opportunity for if you are an adventures league player um, this is a great way to get into adventures that are adventures league appropriate that are happening online um, well, I believe also, that it's going to be about the uh, rise of the rune maiden is what the oh, oh uh, uh, frost maiden thing yeah frost yeah. maiden yeah rune rhyme maiden. of the frost frost maiden oh my god i always forgot it. i've got um, that name so wrong but i got a little yeah. bit in there just enough <laughs> just a little bit um well actually for someone like me who's never actually played adventure league i might hop in just to get that experience yeah it's, it's it a good chance and, and like trevor was saying it's like all proceeds from ticket sales do go to extra life and children's miracle network hospitals so it's good it's, stuff. it's a good time to join in yeah uh, all right, we're going to move over into some dungeon keeping. Uh, and uh, when you're listening to this, our fundraiser has ended. Yeah. Um, and we both shirt, shirts were successful. So thank you Yay. to everyone that bought a shirt, that donated, that helped us uh, get this money to uh, both Black Table Artists and Color of Change. 
Uh, it was fantastic, and I hope you all enjoy your shirts. Or if you didn't get a shirt and you donated, just enjoy that, and I'm really happy you did that. Yeah, we're uh, so, so thankful for you guys and and everyone that bought a shirt. We're so so happy about that. <laughs> when, when when Dusty texted us at like 10 o'clock the other night and said uh, the read the table shirt was successful, I was just I was like, yes, I can go to sleep happy now. <laughs> I literally interrupted Spencer's game and showed him. I'm like, look. <laughs> it was great. So yeah, once again, thank you everyone. Everyone, and uh, we'll let you know if we do anything else like this, or we'll keep you up to date if uh, Shouting in Place does another one of these soon, so you can go uh, help out there as well. Mm-hmm. All right, lastly, Champions Loot. You can give out a code, get a gold chest, and idle champions on any of the numerous platforms they are available on. This week's code is E E V N V A D E K. E E P. I really should have looked at that ahead of time. How <laughs> many freaking e's. e's and V's and are in there? That's a that's that's a little bit. That was kind of hard to do. Uh, anywho, yeah, uh, yeah put that code Victor. in. <laughs> <laughs> I, I should have done like that. Um, <laughs> actually, it'd be kind of fun to see how many people actually got it. Um, <laughs> Put that code in on Idle Champions. Get a free gold chest. Take a screenshot and send it to us. We'd love to see what you get. Getting those golds, getting those, or not golds, getting those purples, getting those shinies, and kicking evil's butt. Now, uh, we're a bit of a ways into the show already, but let's talk about Salt Marsh. Yes. Uh, this is, uh, you know, it's, it's, this is the 51st episode. So uh, every, you know, 11 episodes we do, uh, or 10 episodes, I don't know. We do a review on the first. Of every new 10, I don't know how to describe Around it, anywho. every 10 episodes. <laughs> there we go. Words are hard. Uh, <laughs> so, Ghost of Saltmarsh. Um, this one's going in our campaign ranking because it's there's only two books like this, and it's close to a campaign, so screw it. Mm-hmm. This was the first book uh, that we've reviewed that I came uh, to the the show with a worse opinion of than when I picked it up beforehand. <laughs> Which uh, I will say now, understandable. <laughs> yeah. Um. So what 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 are your okay? So we're 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 staying we're staying mostly spoiler free on this. If we're gonna say anything spoilerly, we'll let you know and you can jump ahead a few seconds. Yeah. But uh, for the most part, this is just gonna be a one topic review because it's not as big as a campaign and it doesn't have all the mm-hmm. you know rigmarole. So what what are your thoughts on this? Um. So really, I kind of ended up getting this book not necessarily because I am familiar with Salt Marsh or I was really craving that uh, Salt Marsh edge. Um, I, I just like with Eberron, I had know nothing about Salt Marsh. I personally came into it, <laughs> knowing nothing. Instead, I saw what the book offered, which was, oh my god, there are actual ship stats aside yep. from just this ship. It costs this much. <laughs> Thank you, boat. Player's Handbook. It floats sometimes. <laughs> And on top of that, it also offers new backgrounds, which I think is like the first book that actually did that. Um, more so, no. The, well, the the campaign books did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, that wasn't just a straight up campaign book. That was really specific towards those campaigns. Um, and like on top of that, it also offers uh, quite a bit of other fun stuff too. Like what was it? Oh yeah, just a ton of information as how to run see campaigns essentially it's a huge tool book on how to do that and that's yeah that's my main reason why i like it is mostly because of chapter one and appendix a <laughs> yes yeah um 
honestly, looking through this book again, all I could think through it was, you should have just made a, a seafaring supplement. Yeah. The, you should have left the adventures out of this. Like, for me, there's like three good adventures in here. There's um, there's definitely room in the adventures to make them really neat and cool. Um, yeah. But I would have, like, in in the back, in Appendix A, there's actually a whole thing about running uh, uh, adventures in uh, at sea. So, like, you mm-hmm. can make your own from just that. So I'm just like, yeah, I, I don't really need these. And, like, it was more confusing the, when I... W- I was confused when this came out, which is actually funny. Uh, I was recording Dungeon Driver when this got announced. <laughs> there's an episode of me in my car going to work saying, oh, my God, go to Saltmarsh. What's this? Um, it's really weird that Saltmarsh uh, is, like, the first book that they did where they're like, yeah, uh, this is a setting from Greyhawk. Yeah. And, but we're not really going to make any reference to that or uh, the Forgotten Realms. It just kind of exists, yeah. which was weird. It was a weird choice. It was like, well, I mean, either put Saltmarsh in the Forgotten Realms or, you know, t- actually say like, hey, Greyhawk's still a thing. But I don't really want that. Uh- <laughs> they, much like in like Curse of Strahd, they offer a lot of options and availabilities and they really put forward the idea of you can put this wherever you want. This is yeah. just a single contained unit that you can plop wherever you want as long as there's water nearby. But the weird thing about that is, is when you get into the salt marsh part, they're talking about, you know, problems with the king and yeah. the the nearby militias. And I'm like, okay, so it's very important that there be a king and stuff around here for this which I know you can change, but it was—it just feels weird when they're just talking about this vague king and this vague militia and this vague army. Yeah, there's and, um, a lot in the the Salt Marsh like uh, background. They talk. There's huge political factions and political factors at play. Where if you plopping it in the middle of Faerun, it has to be very contained to that one city. It can't really be expanded out unless you make yeah. other cities and other adjustments to other cities nearby. Well, it, yeah, but and then even they're like, "Oh, this is Ghost of Saltmarsh," but two of these adventures don't take place uh, take place in a different town. I'm like, "All right, cool, whatever." Uh, <laughs> so yeah, I mean that's something that they really emphasize is that these don't have to be here; they can be wherever you want. <laughs> yeah, which, which again just confuses me more about. Mm-hmm why they did this book. And so if you're unaware, listeners, the, the the adventures in here are not new. They're new to fifth edition, but these are old uh adventures from uh you know DD's history. In fact, the dates are um so that here here are the names and the dates. Uh the Sinister, Sinister Secret of Salt Marsh, easy for me to say, 1981. Danger at Dunwater, 1982. Salvage Operation, 2005. Isle of the Abbey, 1992. The Final Enemy, 1983. And, uh, oh God. Tamarot's. Tamarot's Fate, 2004. And The Styes, 2005. So these are all over the place going from, uh, uh, I think, 1st Edition, 2nd Edition, and 3rd Edition. Mm -hmm. Um, So... Yeah, these aren't new. They remade them into 5th edition. And it's just like the Tales of the Yawning Portal. But that one, I was like, these are super iconic dungeons. Like, the whole thing about it was dungeon crawls. 
I hadn't heard of a single one of these before I cracked open this book. It kind of weirdly felt like they were just kind of control effing sea or ocean or water or Sokwagen <laughs> uh, in their lore books to try to find. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah, because like they, they, they aren't well known necessarily, but they are interesting. I'll say that some yeah. of them are pretty cool and interesting. The- like, like I said, there there was three of them in here that I liked. Like mm-hmm. the one of the final enemy, I was like, "This is actually kind of cool." Like this has got some Cthulhu-y shit to it. Yeah, uh, I was looking uh, at uh, the styes, and that kind of had a familiar feel of that one as well. Yes, with that. yeah, that one's got like a little mystery Cthulhu thing going on. But that's the one that like takes place in another town. So it's like, all right, players were playing Ghost of Salt Marsh. But we're not going to be in Salt Marsh. Uh, <laughs> carried on to a new town. <laughs> yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Like, and what, like, what, of I actually looked on D&D Beyond because what I was going to recommend was to just buy Appendix A on D&D Beyond, but you don't have that option. Oh, no. Really? <laughs> yeah. You can, you can only buy the monsters, the magic items, and the magic items are one single page yeah, and then only the background. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So those are the only separate things that you can buy, because um, really the only reason from in in my honest opinion to own this book is for Appendix A. That's it. Mm-hmm. And I I I talked kind of quickly about uh, problematic stuff. There's problematic shit in here, like yeah, and and it, and it's conflicting. Like you're talking about with Tasha, where uh. In the very beginning for the Salt Marsh section, it's like, oh, yeah, the people of Salt Marsh want the dwarves out of here. There's a dwarven mine. They hate them. They want them out of here. The, the best thing for them would be if the dwarves just got, went home and never came back. Mm-hmm. And then in the, the dock rumor section, it says something along the lines of, oh, here, here I actually opened right to it. Jesus, no, I've never done that before. Nice. Uh, it, uh, it says, that, t- uh, that tiefling who's looking to buy crocodile skulls can't be up to anything good. And I'm like, that's weirdly worded. Okay. But then later but then later on in the final enemy, the whole point is is that all of these races in the area have come together to fight the the Sahugan. Is that how you say it? Sahugan? I don't know how you say it. People say Sahugan. I like to say Sahuagan because that's just me. Well, however, fish people, uh, however you want to do it. And so it's like all these races came together to fight them. And I'm like, okay. I don't, I don't know, and the dwarves aren't one of them, so it's still just like, well, fuck the dwarves. Um, so it's still got that old style fantasy to it, which I'm not here for. Yeah. <laughs> and so, like the and another extremely problematic thing is one of these adventures was written by Mike Merles, and we've talked about how right now that is not that's not good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for the credits of this book entirely, it's a very like whiplash situation because it says lead designers, Mike Merles, and then the second name is Kate Welch. Yeah. <laughs> so, um and and also we didn't talk about this in the news, uh, and I feel bad I forgot about it. Kate Welch left Wizards. Yeah. And that sucked. Sadly. That 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 hit me in the gut. Because mm-hmm. I love I love her and her work. And so, yeah, it is cool that she took that and, you know, brought it up. But one of the weird things is, is that in the adventure summaries, 
for the one that Mike Merles did, it says something like, oh, and if the player or if the characters look into the history of the boat, they realize it has a connection to the slave trade, which is a big red flag. And, but <laughs> then you go to the adventure and it doesn't mention shit about that. Especially like the consideration of where is the slave trade in Faerun? Yeah! What? What history is this Poland from? Exactly. So, yeah, the the this was the first book that we reviewed on here that I went into just kind of blah about and came out absolutely not liking it. Like I was like, can I? I just want to take out Appendix A and you know bind that. Yeah. <laughs> um. That's like an overall, I guess, our feelings about the book. And I think we're both on the same page there where when it comes to the tools that the book gives us, we're very much on board, uh, pun intended, I guess. Oh, yeah. Um, but when it comes to the actual like adventures, they're piecemeal them. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you know? the, like there, there are absolutely things in here that you can take and we'll go over that later on mm -hmm. uh, and put into your games. Uh, but as like, I remember when this book was coming out, when my players was like, Hey, I really want to play C stuff. Could we get this book and run it? And I, the time didn't realize that it was just, you know, split up adventures until I bought it. And I was like, Oh, okay. This isn't what we're looking for. We're not going to do that. We'll, we'll do something else. Yeah. Um, I will mention that these are separate adventures, but there are three um, that actually run into each other. Uh, mm -hmm. The easiest <laughs> out of all of them. They try to provide like half-assed kind of ways of like saying, yeah, you can connect them uh, mm -hmm. through, you know, hooks if you wish. <laughs> but um, there are three adventures specifically that do like actually run into each other. Um, the Sinister mm -hmm. Secret of Saltmarsh goes into the danger of Dunwater, and then that leads into the final enemy, which is yeah. hilarious that the final enemy isn't the last chapter. But... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that that was... Uh, <laughs> yeah, knock against Paizo. But like when I was reading through, I'm just like, this feels like a Paizo adventure. Like the actual meat and potatoes was right there in the middle, and now there's this extra filler here at the end. <laughs> it's because they tried to organ it by uh, tier levels. So like yeah. levels one through three would be the first adventure etc etc until the very end where it's a higher level adventure but however if you're trying to run a story it makes for a lot of page flipping going back and forth and trying to yeah. find things uh so there's this is like going to be a huge sticky note book <laughs> there's going to be a lot yeah. of bookmarks in there there's going to be a lot of notes in here saying refer back to this page to run it i will say from a dm's perspective it's a lot of work um yeah so I guess it, it is is by far not it would not be my first go even for like a small campaign or a one shot. Yeah, um, but I guess we should we should get into the as you said earlier meat and potatoes of this thing and, and get into the more specifics. <laughs> uh, yeah. All right. Um, so starting off, let's talk about chapter one, uh, Salt Marsh. Like we said before, this pretty much talks about and establishes Salt Marsh itself as a setting. Um. This book came out, I believe, before they actually did, like, setting books aside from Sword Coast, I think. I might be wrong, but I think that's the case. Um, Yes, this came out the same year as, as uh, Guildmaster's Guide, but uh, in the beginning of that year. Got it. Yeah, so this is kind of like their first stab at establishing a setting that isn't actually taking place specifically in the Sword Coast. Um, and you can kind of feel it. 
because it feels very much not 5e vibes. It doesn't feel very much Faerun or Sword Coast that they have put out so far. And if you did just plop this as written in the middle of Faerun, the city, I feel, would have, like... It would be almost a uh, like blacklisted on the on the list of cities to travel to from other cities. Mm-hmm. Like the Lords Alliance wouldn't want you going there. The Harpers would warn against going there. It's like they're very much against what Fae, well Sword Coast has kind of put off so far. Mm-hmm. Um, there is some neat like concepts about it that there are political events in here and. I'm saying more so like the concept of political events, not necessarily how they did it. <laughs> yeah. Because as you mentioned earlier, this town is also rather racist. And um, <laughs> and in my games, we don't do that. Yeah. Because especially, can you imagine, like, there's nothing in this book that explains what happens at all if your character, like, if you have a party running through this game and everyone decided to be dwarves, do you establish that in session zero and tell them, hey, you guys are going to be looked down upon and then you look in the book and then there's nothing about that? Or is it going to be like Skyrim where, oh yeah, no, they're totally racist against Khajiit, but then they don't really say anything aside from a few things. <laughs> mm-hmm. Where it doesn't change the story at all. It's just yeah. annoying because you get, keep getting reminded about it, but it doesn't actually yep. affect anything. So there's a lot in there about the actual town itself. Um some other concepts that I liked about the idea of city building, they have a mood table. Yeah, I, I thought that was I thought that was rude. I'm like, <laughs> yeah, uh. I actually like that because it's a D20 and it's three options. You got poor catch, bountiful catch or typical catch. So like if the town has been doing really well economically and with their fishing and food, there's actually merriment happening. There's people are happy if. People are, it's a poor catch. They're frustrated. They're prone to bickering. People would be in a bad mood. You could say uh, persuasion DCs would be higher. And yeah. I, I I like that as a concept for towns. And I kind of wish that that was like, oh yeah, you can have this kind of table for town building in general. The, the other thing that I do like is they have a downtime activity section. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, like one of them is buying and selling magic items, uh, coercing, or co- coercing, uh, yeah, carousing, uh, research, yeah, uh, employment, mercenary work. So they have some options and stuff like that, which mm-hmm. is cool. I like seeing that sort of stuff. I would like to see it for a different town. <laughs> yeah. Um, if you're interested in that kind of thing, they do go into more broad and generalized versions of that in Xanathar's Guide. But this was almost like a take one yep. of that. <laughs> yeah. Whereas Xanathar's felt more like, here's a take two and a more generalized that you can plop into any city. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, like if you're making a sea adventure, these downtown activities can easily be applied. And yep. they're actually pretty neat. Um, it also points out the Saltmarsh region, which we talked about before. This book actually doesn't cover Saltmarsh itself. It actually covers the region around it. Because, like Trevor said earlier, a lot of the adventures don't actually happen directly in Saltmarsh. Mm-hmm. It, it, like, I thought of Gloomhaven at first, the board game, where, yeah. like, you start off in the town and then all the adventures take place outside. Well, actually, that's not true. Some of them take place in the town. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, it, like, it kind of seemed like they it acted as a hub, but as much as information as there is in here... It didn't feel like a hub. 
Like no. it does the way they the information they give you. I don't. I wouldn't be able to run that as a hub with the information without just doing my own thing and making up my own, you know, uh, taverns and you know stuff like that and characters and everything. Um, so. Mm-mm. Yeah, it was kind of weird. It was like, here's a bunch of information about a town and a mood chart and some things that they can do. But it's really just like it's here for the first 15 minutes of a session. Yeah, it's like we were saying earlier. It's very conflicting in how it's like Saltmarsh is the star, but half the book is written it to the side. Yes. Yeah. But they go into at least the areas surrounding it in a little bit of detail. And they also mention like things that you can see in the surrounding areas. So they actually give legitimate, like you can find ghouls to giant rats and like, Oh, there's actually a knight here if they go this way. So it's nice that they provided these things. And there's also a lot of tables for encounters, which is nice. Um, Again, it's kind of like they're preparing you for this area without needing to do any adventures because they're providing a lot of information for that. So you can build your mm-hmm. own. Um, and I guess that kind of brings us into the backgrounds because the next section technically is the adventures, but they just kind of sum it up. Yeah. And, uh, oh, oh, you mean that? Yeah. 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 Um, the backgrounds are my personal where I consider chapter one to start. Cause I kind of blow over the entirety of, like first 28 pages I yeah. tend to just go here. Um, if you have a ocean themed character or someone that came from a city that is a harbor city, like, uh, Oh God, what it, Luskin, Baldur's like Luskin, Gate. Baldur's Gate, no. Waterdeep, Neverwinter, you know, sword coast. Yeah. These backgrounds could easily apply to, to them. Yeah. And, even like the folk hero one, it's like, oh yeah, it's it's a pirate crew crept into yep. town, and you raise the alarm and and led the defense. Oh, that's totally. I awesome. do like that they had that they had updates for uh, the previous backgrounds to be in here to connect it. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, and along it's with- like it's like it it would be cool if every campaign book did that, but it it's it's so much extra that I'm like, you don't need to do it. Yeah. Uh, my favorite thing about backgrounds is that they actually give you more feature background feature examples because yeah, something again that we talked about when we talked about the player's handbook before is that background features are uh, suggestions. They're not hard, fast rules. They're not mm-hmm. um, anything concrete. Like they're encouraging players to make up their own background feature really in the book. And so this one gives you just more examples that you can do, except they're more, water themed and appropriate ones um mm-hmm. there is one that is specifically like really good for running a book like a boat campaign and it's the shipwright background um it's like brand new to actually salt marsh itself and the feature they have is i'll patch it essentially <laughs> it's a way to actually fix a boat you're on without going into harbor and spending like three thousand gold Oh, neat. Yeah, so it's like if you're having a very small uh, party that's running a boat, having someone with that background can make or break a boat, literally. Yeah, it it looks like you use it. uh, You can repair up to five times your proficiency modifier and HP to the vehicle. Uh, uh, A vehicle cannot be patched uh, by you in this way again until after it has been pulled ashore uh, and fully repaired. That's still pretty cool. That's like a neat little, like, quick thing. Oh, yeah. They literally pull out supplies and 
put a just flex tape it you know they they just fix yeah. it for the time being but there's yeah there's updates and then they they also have the smuggler which is actually pretty cool um pretty much it's very similar to the uh criminal background however this is specific to smuggling and they even tell you what you used to smuggle and uh your like a biggest accomplishment too which mm -hmm. yeah these backgrounds my favorite thing in chapter one Which so after that leads that us into the adventures, to, yeah. Yeah. So the next several chapters, actually more than several, um, are just uh, the adventures. Yeah, uh, all the way through chapter eight, mm -hmm. uh, which, uh, let's see, the appendix actually starts on like 180 something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, 186. So for us... There is between page 37 and 186 that is just okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, some of these can be really inspirational and you can pull from them to make up neat story ideas and hooks. Um, yep. But I probably wouldn't follow them to the letter because they they do come from, like we mentioned earlier, like straight up the 70s or not for certain, the 80s. The 80s, yeah. And they feel it. They yep. feel like they're from that age of dungeon making and dungeon building because there's just, they're kind of dense in a way I, that I 5e isn't. I will give them uh, a lot of the artwork they got done for the maps is in this like blue grid style that is reminiscent of old dungeon maps. Yeah. I thought that was cool. Uh, but, Dyson uh, Logos yeah. did do all the adventure maps and the grid maps in there. Um, so that's actually pretty nice. They, they brought them back in there. Did they? <laughs> yeah. I don't think he did. No, yeah, that's him. Oh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did have it more of a blue, uh, like a dark marine blue that's in there. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Um, this is kind of like his earlier stuff, so it's not exactly like uh, looks like Dyson, especially oh, if you yeah, go. Yeah. But it, all the boats and everything like that are all Dyson logo. That's awesome. Um. But kind of general overview, and it, this is, I'm not going to be spoiler at all. I'm just going to kind of yeah. talk about the adventures. Um, I'll be, first I'll be outright about something. I've only ran one of these adventures. Um, and like I mentioned in the How Are Your Games this week, it was the uh, Danger at Dawnwater one that I ran. But mm -hmm. to sum up these real quick, uh sinister secrets right that's actually more so actually in salt marsh itself it's more it's a lot of investigation especially at like level one through three that's kind of what's going to be expected um versus not a ton of fighting but there are a lot of opportunities for fighting <laughs> uh <laughs> and then there is like at the end this big raid that you can do on a ship which is pretty neat um but yeah, there's a there's a fight there with the people on the ship and such like that. Uh, after that is the danger at Dunwater. Is there anything else you wanted to say that the Sinister Secrets adventure? I I, I genuinely don't have a lot to say about yeah. the adventures. Um, danger at Dunwater, I will say, is actually of these, I think, the neatest to take from, especially considering that it was written in the 80s and how usually a lot of those adventures were kind of boiled down to big dungeon crawls. This one, if you don't read it at all and you just look at that huge map that's in there, <laughs> looks like, oh, God, this is a huge dungeon crawl. Because, mm -hmm. yeah, there's like over, what is it, 52 rooms 
in this adventure, which makes it Jesus. the biggest adventure in here. Um, yeah, there's 52 rooms. And it makes it feel like it's the biggest one. However, very similar to Storm King's Thunder. Um, if you have looked in that book at all, you know that there's the Storm Giants stronghold. And they have everything nitpicked out in that map. They have all like 90 rooms in that map mapped out and who you'd mm -hmm. encounter in that map and the treasure you'd find in each room. However, if you follow the plot points in the, in the book, um, you shouldn't be exploring and stealing from them at all. And you shouldn't really be having these encounters. That's very yep. similar to this adventure. They really just have all these rooms mapped out in case the players go there. And in case they really, really heck up and they make enemies, <laughs> they're my not players supposed saw to. Like, my players saw like 10% of Maelstrom in Storm King's Thunder. Same here. Like, yeah. it wasn't until recently when they came back to visit that they were even shown that there's a higher level other than the main <laughs> one. Um, so, like, the this story is... Uh, shouldn't have any fighting at all really um it really is about informational gathering and figuring out what's happening the story starts out with Saltmarsh being really concerned that uh oh god what did they say it's it's not it's not a good way to say it oh yeah uh the discovery that a colony of lizard folk lies near the small fishing town of Saltmarsh and is purchasing weaponry considered, quote, sophisticated by lizard folk standards has alarmed Saltmarsh Town Council. <laughs> yeah. So it's like they start out the the mood with that, that. But mm -hmm. then going into the political side of it, they're expecting the players to treat with them as equals. Otherwise, they're going to get their ass kicked and they're going to lose the campaign. So it's a very interesting adventure. Um, like I said, it's very dense. There's a lot to it that you don't actually need to know. Um, <laughs> when I first was reading it, as from, from a DM perspective, it was difficult to read because yeah. there is like six, there's, there's one, two, three, there's like four pages before the actual start of the adventure. And they don't explain that at all. About Jesus. like, oh, this is how the adventure starts. It's just like all of a sudden, the adventure summary is on the fifth page of the actual yeah, adventure. Th now that you say that, it, I actually that I just didn't notice that at the time. It doesn't have like in any of the start of the adventures. So they're in Salt Marsh. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. That's really weird. Yeah, and. The, the story boils down to, yeah, these guys are gathering weapons because they're actually setting up a war against the Sahuagin. And they don't trust the Saltmarsh people because they're racist fucks. So they're actually gathering help from the sea elves, from, uh, oh god, I have that whole sticky note. The Merfolk. Koalants? Lokath? Lokathahaz? Uh, I can't pronounce these for the life of me, good lord. <laughs> Merfolk and then the Lizardfolk. So it's a coalition between four people. Um, yeah, and except the only exception is sea elves, and apparently they explain it because the sea elves are too proud to join in on that fight. Oh However, my god. oh my god, yeah, I know, I know. However, the characters can attempt to parlay with the sea elves to try to get them to join in on the fight, and uh, cool. because <laughs> of uh, 
pretty much the only hook between the three adventures, Oceanus, who is a sea elf, uh, you have that opportunity. Yeah. So basically, but, uh, it's 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 a it's a hard to run campaign. Um, everything is kind of dependent on uh, how your standing ends up being with the queen of the lizard folk, and there's some other factions going on in the lizard folk that you can also appeal to. However, there's like obviously a, a right way and a wrong way to do this, and you can keep track of it with like. Uh, What's it called? There, there's, it's like I said, there's just, it's difficult to kind of get through. Yeah. Attitude. I, I, attitude. That's what it is. <laughs> Their attitude towards the players. <laughs> um. Yeah. The, the final enemy is like the one in here that I could see myself running. Just like if, if I had really thought about it, I could have just plunked it into Storm King's Thunder. Um. But I kind of, I like for the sake of time, I kind of want to just, for the most part, skip over the rest of the adventures that because they they're yeah. just kind of there. It's like there's yeah. one where you go to an island and you fight some undead. There's yeah. one where you go to a ship and you fight some stuff there. That's pretty much and, it. Chapter four is just a dungeon crawl through a big ship. Chapter five yeah. is they need to secure an island. And so they explore a ruined abbey with ghosts. Yeah. And yep, then uh, then one of them, they go to a different town and have to solve a cthulhu mystery. Yeah, it's. It's just okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like we were saying, the, the real stuff is in the Appendix A, uh, which we can go over a little bit. Um, so they have full uh, sets of, of stat blocks for ships. Like that's the that's the real first thing that you see when you get in here. And it's got all the information you need to know, how much crew it needs, uh, you know, how to fix it up, what the components are. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of good information and also some cool maps to that you can, you know, uh, put out and show like, okay, here's the size. Here's your ship. Here's all that stuff. Yeah. Um, um, I've used these. Uh, my friend Marcos has used them in the stream that he does where we're in uh, Wildmount. Um, we use these stat blocks for the books, for, mm-hmm. for the boats that we're on. And they're actually pretty good. They make a lot of sense and they feel balanced for the amount of people that should be on them. Mm-hmm. So so far it works out that I've from my experience. Uh, after that, they go into uh, upgrading your ship, like the hull, the movement, the weapons. Um, they go into ship combat, which is really good to see. Um, and from uh, you know reading it, I actually enjoyed the rules for this. I thought it worked out really well. Their uh, ship combat is kind of a sticking point for me in a lot mm-hmm. of RPGs. Before we get too far, I do want to talk about the upgrades for a hot second. Um, the upgrades there are, they're called superior ship upgrades. And that's because a lot of these feel like as if they're meant for level 15 and up characters. Um, they're really like high arcana feeling of their upgrades. Like Mm -hmm. really there's only a couple in here that are regular feeling like reinforced hull, which means like, oh yeah, it doubles the hull points maximum makes sense but then there's one that's Mm -hmm. like frost locked hull which is like oh supernatural ice drawn from the elemental planes it's immune to cold damage and it's like what (laughs) and there's yeah there's dragon sails and clockwork oars ever full sails which always have wind in them and these upgrades cost fifteen thousand gold and take weeks of work to install they don't have anything on regular upgrades 
on basic really? on basic like you get a better sail, you get some better weapons. They don't have anything like that. That's 15,000 gold. 15,000 gold to upgrade. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So like as far as upgrades go, that's my biggest critique of that and like yeah. I, I I really dislike that it's only really for characters that are in that tier four situation where it's like, well, we've made it this far uh, and we have taken out a couple dragons. Why don't we use their wings to like make it into sails? It's like, well, why not? But that's at level 15. What about mm -hmm. this book? Adventures only take place level one through like 12, maybe 10. Yeah. So it's like, what about all those yeah, guys? One to 12. <laughs> oh, sorry. Hit my mic. Sorry about that. <laughs> so it's, uh, it's, it's, that's my biggest uh, critique for the, that section there. Um, so yeah, the, after the ship combat, they go into traveling at sea, uh, hazards that you could have. And so f really from here on, this is where we get into like, here's information you need to know and rules that you can do to run a game on water. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you want to do, uh, find out what the water's like, or like what the, the storms are like, um, what the ocean life underneath them would be, what the mm -hmm. depth underneath them is, um, they're, they're eldritch mist uh you yeah. know like they, they've got some cool stuff they even have a few locations that you can just plop into uh areas they even have a thing about shipwrecks whirlpools um and yeah uh a lot of good information yeah it's kind of wild they it's 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 really good for if you're even just in a different campaign and you want to take them from, for example, uh, from Waterdeep over to Chult by boat. Yeah. You could actually do that with this book as opposed to just kind of hand With just Appendix waiting. A. Yeah. With literally just Appendix A. Yeah. And it could be a fun adventure of them traveling and they could even gain a couple levels from that. And yeah. this shows a legitimate way of doing that. They even go over how the crew works. Like a crew yeah. on a ship, because not every ship is only a tiny schooner with four people on it. It's like the majority of ships in Faerun are big vessel ships. So it's... Oh my god, there's a... I didn't see this. There's a table for crew member names. Yeah, I was just about to say and that. The tables are great. There's... And so you could, you could have a, somebody named uh, Gloomy Rat. Or, yeah. uh, or, or Rum Dog. <laughs> Golden Whale. Oh yeah. <laughs> You, you can you can have a, a crew member straight up be called Pretty Angel. Yeah, Pretty Angel. Hey, Pretty Angel, get over here. It's like, oh, that's kind of rude. Like, no, that's his name. That's what he calls himself. What What's up, Salty Maps? What? Why Why is that my name? <laughs> um, but one of the other things that I just saw in here, um, they have a random encounter table for out at sea, and they have three tables. Uh, one of them is for levels one to four, then five to ten, then eleven to twenty. Mm-hmm. So, like, again, there's a lot of good supplemental stuff in here that goes beyond just the levels 1 to 12 that are on the back of the book that can help you through a whole campaign. Yeah, I mean, like, even if you're not even going through a campaign, you're building one, there's mm -hmm. uh, an entire area about filling in islands that have been yeah. unexplored, mysterious islands. And there's tables about island themes. There's the island leader, like, the main person behind it. There's reactions of people of when you get there there's hooks for all these things and like there's even ship 
that you can encounter on the ocean as well that they have tables for. And it's like, oh, yeah, what's the ship purpose? And you roll a D100 and it's like, well, it could be a military ship. And then it tells you what military ships are for. And then you can even go into the military ship's attitude and the race that's found mostly on there. So it's like, yeah, there's you roll a D100. It's like, oh, it's actually a friendly ship um, and it's full of like halflings. And they're actually traveling through trying to just back up in Waterdeep or something. It's like, oh, that's mm-hmm. actually pretty cool. There's a whole ton of tables in this appendix that are great. Um, something else they give is underwater locations as well. Yep. So and and in this section, there's actually just a few maps. If you yeah. just want to use them, they're not really connected to anything. No. You want a sunken uh sunken ship map? Here you go. Mm-hmm. Marcos has straight up used this sunken ship map, and we actually had to go through it. There was a deep scion in there and a giant octopus, and we explored the hell out of it. It was a lot of fun. And That's awesome. And he just plopped it right into the Wildmount campaign because that's what the goal was. So it's like these are very obviously super easy to throw in there. And if you just want to have a one shot, they have a ton of hooks and wreck adventures that you can throw in here. Yep. So you can just build your own thing. Um, like the dragon turtle bandit. <laughs> There's this huge dragon turtle, which just goes around wrecking places and steals from people. And you can handle that in a, in a little adventure that they, pro- that they provide. And there's just a lot of really cool stuff and tiny little adventures that they give, which essentially mm-hmm. you can build off of. Um, yeah. Oh God. Yeah. There's the release, the Kraken mini adventure, <laughs> which is a trip, <laughs> but appendix a is really where this money like was made worth it for me. Yeah. Um, probably the, 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 reason the creatures why. that are in it are, are good too. The, there, there oh, yeah. is quite a few monsters in the back. Um, like I said, one page of magic items, which are just okay. Um, I will but yeah, say the, they do expand on some creatures that are in the monster manual, like bullywugs. There's actually two more kinds of bullywugs in here. Um, there are, in fact, like drowned uh, monsters in here as well, which are just basically water zombies. Um, they and get, my favorite, juvenile kraken. Yeah, the juvenile kraken. If you want people to go after a kraken, but you, but they're only like level like ten or so, you can yeah, throw this it's a guy CR in there. CR fourteen. Yeah. yeah. You could throw this guy in there and it won't completely murder him. (laughs) Mostly. And like there's even just there's a lot more like lizard folk stat blocks as well. And it's the monsters in here is actually worth it because there's also a lot of pirates in here, too. Mm -hmm. So if you're having trouble figuring out like how to make the bandit stat block stretch, this really can help you. And they Mm -hmm. even go up to like CR2 with the pirate uh, NPCs as well. Um, but yeah, so that is the, the, the bulk of this book. Yeah. There Um, is like a minor page of magic items. It's one page. It's nothing too memorable unless your your characters do something with it, but I wouldn't get it for the magic items. (laughs) So right now our... Our ranking looks as follows. Number one, Curse of Straw. Number two, Storm King's Thunder. Number three, Tyranny of Dragons. And number four, Tomb of Annihilation. Where has this fallen for you? Honestly, the very bottom. Um, yep. Simply because I wouldn't use half this book. I'm yep. barely using a third of it because of my other campaign. 
Um, like we're we're kind of looking at this from a supplement standpoint. So it's like, well, this should be in the supplement uh, ranking then. But it's like, well, even then, like, I don't know if it would if it has enough compared to the other ones to be above any of them. Like, yeah, I wouldn't put this above Xanathar's Guide. Uh, I would only yeah. tell you to. I would only tell you to get this book if you were dead set on running a seafaring adventure. Yeah, and even then, a seafaring adventure that's based off of a land mass. Yeah, yeah. Because but uh, but even then, like yeah. the the majority of this book is adventure, and I don't think the adventure is very good. No, I yeah I agree there because like if we were gonna do uh, Tales from the Yawning Portal, I would put that one above this. Oh, oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, but yeah, um, so that's our review. It wasn't... Then put it out in the greatest... If, if, if you ever thought that we just only gush about D&D stuff, here's the episode. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, uh, but you know what? Let's change gears a little over an hour into this episode. Um, and we're going to, we're talking about good stuff now. We're, we're back to feeling good. Allie, let's, let's get into the good headspace. We're, we're, we're feeling good now. Everything's great. We're being happy again. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's move over into our DC spotlight this week, which Allie, you are going to tell us about. Hey, that's me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, yeah. So, Our DC Spotlight this week is actually the Roomy Roamers podcast. Um, It's this podcast that I had started. It's basically called the Roomy Roamers because my roommates and I have created a campaign. Um, And we decided to record it and post it for all y'all to hear. Um, It's essentially, it's an actual play podcast and it follows uh, three adventurers going into the Silentir Archipelago. God, I can't tell you how many times I heard myself say that word wrong in that first episode (laughs) the archipelago um it's pretty much an unexplored group of islands found off the southern waters of the sword coast so closer to like Baldur's gate area um i'm the dm spencer my lovely boyfriend plays damien he's a tiefling warlock uh taylor plays inga uh she's a wonderful tiefling paladin of of sune and then cody plays arius who's a high elf wizard pretty much trying to get into Candlekeep and this is his ticket in and I love it yeah so this is this it's so far it's been a fun adventure um they their first goal is to just get a boat because they have made it to the main island where pretty much everyone starts at in the archipelago and in the first episode they have to realize well a boat is actually more expensive than literally any of us have <laughs> we don't have any money so they have yeah. to get jobs and uh, they're lucky enough to come across a uh, help wanted from the governess herself. Mm-hmm. Um, without giving too much away, I'll leave it there. But it's it's a lot of fun, I think. And uh, so far, I'm excited about re- editing the second and third and fourth and now fifth <laughs> episode. Hey! <laughs> yeah, so, uh, you know, uh, you can find Rumi Roamers essentially on Twitter at Rumi Roamers. Um, you can also find it on whatever most podcast feeds that you listen to. Um, if you can't find it on one that you particularly listen to, let me know. Uh, you know where I'm at on Twitter because you're on this podcast, but <laughs> <laughs> um, I'll, I'll try to work on getting that everywhere for you guys. But yeah, so that's, that's Rumi Rumors. Yeah. Go listen to it. I, I, I listened to the first episode and I absolutely love it. Again, like I said uh, before, Taylor's voice, the whole thing is fantastic. I love it. <laughs> 
Uh, also enjoy that it is two tieflings and uh, and an elf. I, I, I love groups that have no humans in it, <laughs> despite oh, always yeah. ending, ending up playing a human. Yeah. Um, uh, so, yeah. There was a fun moment where Arius was like, oh, I can uh, shoot fire and, uh, and cast magic when they were asking what he could do. And they both looked at each other and it's like, fire? Is, is that all you got? Because <laughs> like fire to them isn't a big deal. <laughs> yeah. It's fantastic. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so go uh, go find that on your podcast service. Go follow Rumi Rumors on Twitter. Uh, and uh, yeah, go check out this awesome new actual play that Allie is going to be putting up. Uh, okay, what, is there a release schedule right now? Or are we still still early on on that? Uh, still early on on figuring out exactly okay. when. Uh, but so far it looks like once a month or so. It might be a little sooner than that. i got to figure things out. There we go. So keep an ear out for that. All right, uh, let's move over to our second topic, mm-hmm. uh, which is going to be uh, kind of a, a, an answer to this review that we had of taking things out of a book and putting them into your homebrew. Yeah. Um, piecemealing is the way to go. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like, uh, we, we mentioned it earlier with, like, Tasha as well, where, like, if there's chunks that you just kind of really don't really agree with or just kind of like well, this doesn't make any sense feel free to take i mean yeah. that's kind of how dnd 5e is built for is thankfully you can take from everywhere and put it into whatever you need to absolutely i i, I have been known to get very dissatisfied with the campaign uh while running it and throw the rest of it out uh <laughs> and i will just take things here and there i just remember um, you literally throwing the tyranny of dragons book over your shoulder <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, <laughs> and like that—that was—that was a good good example. Like, I took Tyranny of Dragons and I did my own thing with it, but I still took from what they had in there and made my own campaign with it. Mm-hmm. And you can do that with anybody. You can do that with Salt Marsh so easily. Yeah. Um, like you know, instead of having it be in Salt Marsh, have it be in uh, Waterdeep or you know somewhere near there, and just have that be the hub, and have them go out and do some adventures here and there from there, or you know just take it. It can be even as simple as just like I really like that room. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna take that room and I'm gonna pop it here in this map. Yeah, <laughs> um, like when we were talking about Salt Marsh, like the idea of the mood of the town. I would yeah. love to apply that to Luskin. It's like, because mm-hmm. they're a big fishing and seaport town. And so it's like, I would love to apply that there because then it would determine what kind of DCs would be set about. Um, yeah. I told Trevor before we started recording, like, cool. So everyone can hear how whenever I run a game, I have at least four books out and only one <laughs> of them is from the core three. <laughs> yeah. Usually it's the monster manual that's out and it's like. Like, for example, for my Wednesday game, just this last time, I had Tyranny of Dragons. I had the, uh, what was it? The Dragon of Ice Spire Peak, a little mini adventure book. I mm-hmm. had the Monster Manual. I had the Ghost of Salt Marsh out. <laughs> and for the uh, Rumi Rovers campaign, I have Ghost of Salt Marsh. I have Tomb of Annihilation. I have uh, the... Storm King's Thunder as well. Mm-hmm. So it's like I pull from anywhere I can. <laughs> um, a lot of times I often pull for the stat blocks because, I mean, you know, work smarter, not harder. Um, exactly. But 
a lot of times like the Dragon of Ice Spire Peak. That's like meant for level like six-ish. These guys are level 16. Mm-hmm. I'm using the maps. I'm using the yep. characters that are in there, the NPCs. This uh, white dragon is no longer just a simple young or adult dragon. It's an ancient one and it has goals. It's like mm-hmm. I adjusted things, but I took out pieces from this adventure and the players are seeing in a brand new way that they would never have seen it otherwise. Yeah, uh, I I do know that like this is a thing. I do I know a lot of DMs do this stuff. Like I we we have a few friends that like I've uh, and a, re- a release has been announced and they've just like rubbed their hands together like oh there is so much stuff I'm stealing out of that book. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but I know that for some people that doesn't quite click. Um, and so like like earlier I was talking about with Salt Marsh where it's just like it talks about a king and a vague militia and stuff like that. If, the way that I go about it is I read it, I'm just like, all right, King. Uh, all right, well, I got King Jace, so I guess that's going to be him. Uh, Militia, the nearest place to this might be Waterdeep, so we'll have it be the Waterdavian Guard. So, like, I'll just find things that sound close-ish to what I'm doing and just plug it in there. I'm not doing that with Salt March, but I'm just giving an example. Yeah. Um, and yeah, you can easily like just you find connecting words. It's like, all right, um, e- even if you don't have a king in the area, you have uh, you don't even have a monarchy or a government or anything. It's just like, okay, take out king and replace it with government. Yeah, like just you can just take these connecting words and swap them in and out, and that will be enough really to do uh, to to tell your players and be like, oh yeah, no, you know the government that you guys have been dealing with for the last uh, uh, four sessions? Yeah, this town absolutely hates them. Cannot Mm -hmm. stand them. Doesn't want anything to do with them. And that alone Um, can be a great hook for your own homebrewed world, is that you could immediately make a connection that these books are trying to give and attach it to your personal like group and personalize it. Yeah. Um, I find a lot of books do tend to especially in 5e uh they tend to offer tools and ways around it not being in Faerun strictly yeah like uh tales from the awning portal is probably like a great the best example because they're saying like the before every adventure they're like hey here are several ways it could be in these five different planes and it's like they're trying to help you figure out how to insert it into your own game um like Ravenloft, I think, is the next best thing where they're just saying, like, yeah, this could be anywhere you need to and just establish that this happens at this point. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll give an example of something I haven't done yet. Mm-hmm. I might do it. So this might eventually be spoilers for characters or for players. But uh, um, I like if you really love the idea of Curse of Strahd, but what you love about Curse of Strahd is Ravenloft and you don't want to deal with the whole... Uh, you know, deadly mists or the problematic Vistani uh, as they stand right now, or, uh, you know, even Barovia at all. I've thought about that. And I've been like, how could I do that? Hmm, oh, Castlevania is really cool. And, and just like have the castle show up in whatever land, like full on Castlevania style where it's just like, all right. Uh, yeah. The castle just appears. Yeah. It wasn't there uh, yesterday. And now it is. That's, That's the weird, nice thing isn't it? about, D&D Faerun or even D&D adjacent planes that you make like a homebrewed world big magic is a thing Mm -hmm. (laughs) like suddenly something can be there that wasn't there the month before and it could be a big thing um I mean magic is a great explanation and a great hand waver 
without actually being a hand wave. Yeah. <laughs> Cause it's like, well, it, I mean, it is, but it also is like, it's, it's the cause. Like it's, yeah. it's why that it's like, okay, we know it's here because of magic, but who was the one that did the magic? Exactly. Like that itself is a hook into this thing that you can plop in there. Like, yeah. I, I know exactly what you mean. Cause the entirety concept of like, Ravenloft that's a huge campaign and there are several Mm -hmm. factors to it that makes it its own thing um but you could certainly take out pieces like if you like the idea of um what was that the order of the platinum dragon what was what was oh yeah 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 Yeah, uh uh, the something order of the silver dragon something like that yeah like if you took that you could totally take out those ruins and put them in the middle of your homebrew Mm-hmm. And you could say how they were a group that was against undead, and they don't necessarily yeah. have to be against Strahd or against like the Shadowfell in particular. But like, yeah, you could throw them into your world, and you have a whole map. <laughs> yeah, like suddenly at your disposal that you could just use. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I personally plan to use bits of Ravenloft, uh, mm-hmm. mostly because I'm not great at like setting up traps. Such like that. It's the same reason why I want to use bits and pieces of the Two of Annihilation, because set upright that that whole entire dungeon has a lot of fun puzzles. Yeah, like I remember uh, Ben was running like the first three levels with us, and he told us the the whole like intro hints thing where it's like, oh yeah, it's the plaque, it's reading this, and then we actually read them, and we're like, oh don't tell the little girl anything that she doesn't want to hear. Otherwise she's going to get pissed off. And Ben's looking at us like, you're the first group that ever didn't actually. (laughs) (laughs) And so it's like taking pieces that you thought were fun out of a campaign is hundred percent like encouraged. (laughs) Yeah. And and I, I, for someone who is running their own strictly homebrew one like uh you know, we we uh you and I run homebrew light for the most part so it's still set in the forgotten realms but we do our own thing in yeah. there um but for somebody who has their own completely um uh you know homebrewed world sometimes those campaign books uh you might not even you know think about you may not even look at but for me, when I'm doing stuff with that, and I know it's been a really long time for me, I understand. Um, <laughs> it's a, it's the theme, it's the feel. It's like, okay, Strahd, I'm already going for like a, a spooky, creepy area. I could get that book and steal some stuff out of it. Yeah. Um, and I mean, if you're I, going uh, the, full Norse mythology, you could take out huge elements from Storm King's Thunder. Yeah. Like, I, I will say, like, best thing you could probably do is, well, not right now with COVID, but go into a bookstore and thumb through the book and see what you think. Uh, but also looking up reviews like what we do here on the show or uh, YouTube reviews and whatnot, they usually give you a pretty good idea about what's going on in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that, like, when I was doing uh, my own world, I really desperately wanted the Tomb of Horrors to be in my campaign. I don't know why. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that would be great. Um, but, uh, yeah, and, and I came up with this whole thing. I was just like, oh, well, I'm just using the Tomb of Horrors. I'm not going to have a Sirac and all that stuff in it. So um, we're, we'll put it. It's going to be underneath this dude's mansion, and the mansion itself is trapped because this dude loves traps. 
There you go. Um, that's the whole thing. So, like, I, I built out this whole thing. One of my favorite ones in there is I had a table, which I took from the fourth edition Tomb of Horrors book. There was a table that you had to make a wisdom save when you got near. Otherwise, it compelled you to go over and start eating from it. And it was all rotted and disgusting food. Mm-hmm. It was great. <laughs> all my players failed that uh, check. It was fantastic. Um, so, yeah, like, just taking the concept of something and putting it in there and then finding tool or like, you know, uh, uh, narrative excuses for why it's there. Like the tomb of horrors, if you don't know, is made because a just wanted to make a place that would lure stupid adventurers in with the promise of treasure and all the people that died in it. They, he just ate their souls. Just, nom, 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 nom. Mm-hmm. That's the sound a Syrac makes. Nom, yeah, nom, nom, it's, nom, it's, nom, it's nom. a, it's the green, green energy concept for a lich dungeon. It yeah. feeds itself. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. And so um, I was like, yeah, that's really cool. That's a neat narrative explanation. I don't really care about that. I just want to use the traps and stuff. So we're just going to take the whole layout of it and drop it here in fourth edition, yeah. put the traps in, and just have this dude that's really obsessed with traps I mean, and like, has a lot of treasure. That's the thing. When you are building your own homebrew worlds, I think the hardest part about it is the mechanic technical part of the, the homebrew world. Yeah. Because if you're already building your own world, I'm pretty sure you have the narrative down pat. You have the idea of what you want going on. And so pulling from like, well, I really want a trapped house. Well, I mean, there's a whole trapped house mini adventure in Curse of Strahd that Mm -hmm. gets really bad really fast. And it's like there's it's like, well, I also want this huge giant temple. There's one of those in Storm King's Thunder. It's yeah. like, I, I just want to be able to travel through the jungle. Well, hey, I mean, like, if you're cool with dinosaurs, or even if you're not, there are plenty of random encounters tables in those books that would help you in the jungle in Storm uh, yeah. uh, Tomb of Annihilation. I, I, I fully believe that it, even if I was running a full homebrew, I would still be buying these campaign books every time they come out because there's... Like, like right now, Rhyme of the Frostmaiden, um, I have no plans on running it anytime soon. I'm 100% buying it, though, because I'm like, I want to see what stuff I could come up with just by reading this book. Oh, and, yeah. and I think that's, like, because I know there's some DMs out there that just vehemently do just uh, uh do stay away from campaign books they think they're the the devil like they don't want anything to do with them and i'm like it's not a bad thing like if you're reading this stuff you're reading about what you do you're reading about dming you're running reading about running a game it can give you ideas that maybe reading fantasy books wouldn't mm-hmm. if you're reading a fantasy book it's like oh that's a really cool scene that might happen if your players do the right things and whatnot but it's not gonna it it, this thing has yeah this thing has maps this thing has all the stuff that you need uh that you can just piecemeal out and just throw it in your campaign and it's a lot less work that you need to worry about um than you know just let having it all be on your shoulders if that's the way you like running things that's cool we run games different that's fine um but personally i think piecemealing stuff out and making these things your own is a really fun way to do things oh yeah and i mean it just makes your life so much easier take it from someone who's going to school who's working who is doing a couple podcasts who's editing things it's yeah like, i hardly have time to create my own stuff for oh D&D my god yeah. or even prep so the reason why i have four books out for a single game that aren't even the player's handbook or a dmg or monster manual is so that way it makes my life easier like i have elements 
for all my PCs, like Bradley has elements from Descent into Avernus. Uh, yeah. Saphir has elements from Dragons of Ice Fire Peak. Twyla has elements yeah, and, and from just the Waterdeep. Waterdeep, right? yeah, Dragon yeah. Heist. And so it's like I pull a lot of these characters' backstories are pulled from these adventures because, pro tip, if you want to really dive into character backstories, have it be a fun way to pull from the actual campaign. Yeah. Because, yeah. like, sure, they're level 12 when they're reaching uh, Waterdeep Dragon Heist, but you can use these elements. You could pull out from them and still use the narrative. And Absolutely. Just that's the pull That through. is one of the great things. Narrative does not have a level. Yeah. I mean, like, that's, like, like the number like, one thing you probably hear me say is, like, oh, but my characters are level 16, but I still do this. <laughs> yeah. Like, like I- I'm holding up right now the Descent into Avernus book because this has been my saving grace. Mm-hmm. Like, the fact that I do all of these podcasts and all of these things, I prepping is reading and then writing some notes. And it's a nice relaxation thing to do. Um, but yeah, I, I have level 11 players in this, this campaign, uh, it's the collector's edition doesn't have the thing on the back. I think it only goes up to like, what, 15? <laughs> um, I so like, think so a little bit less than a, yeah. Yeah. Maybe a little bit less. So, and, and there's been no problem so far at all. Like they've been enjoying it. In fact, um, I almost insta killed a player the other night. That was fun. <laughs> Oh yeah, so, no, there's totally room in the narrative. Uh, whatever story that you've come across so far, I've been finding no real issue. The only issue I would see if you are trying to run like higher level people is like Tyranny of Dragons. That's like I feel like the only real campaign where if you tried to mm-hmm. run just without, you would need just a means lot. There's of more dragons. Yeah, you would just need a lot of tweaking dragons. with it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, but, but the I I fully endorse. Taking the maps, taking the themes, taking the, the the characters even. Like, again, you can take a character and slap a new stat block on them, and they're fine. Yeah. Um, but, uh, but yeah, uh, you, you got anything else on, uh, on piecemealing things? Anything popping into your head? No, just like I said, work, work smarter, not harder when it comes to DM prep. Like, if you yes. feel like you need a trapped room and you have Tomb Annihilation on your right, pull from it. Even if you're nowhere near Tomb Annihilation, even if you're running uh, Rime of the, uh, the Frost Maiden. I can't even remember that title name. Rime of the Frost Maiden. Yeah, Rime of the Frost Maiden. <laughs> if you're running Rime of the Frost Maiden, a place set in the Arctic, and you want to throw in a trapped room somewhere in there, pull for Tomb of Annihilation. You know that has a ton of really good trapped areas. Plus, mm-hmm. if you have players that are also DMs and they've run these campaigns... It's also a fun little like, oh, oh, I recognize this. And yeah. It's always, for me, it's always been in a good way. <laughs> it's never <laughs> been like, oh, I've done this before. It's always been like, ah, I, I know this. <laughs> so it's a fun little like Easter egg for other yeah. DMs. <laughs> Absolutely. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, if uh, if we didn't answer your questions that you had about uh, how to piecemeal things from uh, campaign books into your uh, homebrews, uh, l- let us know a specific question you want us mm-hmm. to answer. You can send that into difficultyclass at gmail.com, and we'll answer it on a future episode like we are about to do with uh, two questions from Aaron. Uh, so uh, we'll, we'll do Aaron's original first question first, uh, which was uh, about... Basically, how do you uh, incorporate the most uh, unused dice 
being the D100s. Do you actually uh, have a way of incorporating these dice, or uh, do they just go unused? uh, What what do you got, Allie? So um, I often use the D100 as a DM, like, at least four times a session. (laughs) Mm -hmm. They're, They're my deciding factor dice. Um, because like if I if I know a base NPCs like base motivations or what have you, I'm like okay, sure. But if like a player makes a really compelling like argument about something, but it goes mm-hmm. against their ideals, I'm like, this is more than just a DC at this point. This is this is them deciding if they'll take a stand here or not. Yeah. And so I leave it up to the D100. I'm like okay, it was a good argument. So I'm going to say, ooh, but it really goes against one of their base things. So probably 60-40. 60 being they agree with it, 40 being not. Sure, that can be translated to a d20 where it's like, yeah, you roll like a 16 and there you go. Or it could even be translated as a dc, like I said earlier. But I like rolling the d100 because... I mean, hey, you mentioned it yourself, Aaron. It's a really rarely used dice in D&D 5e. Um, but when it comes to that or even luck rolls, my my rogue, he has turned to worshipping Timora a lot more heavily the higher level we go. He mm. now has a stick that he brought from the abyss, mind you, because it kept pointing the right way that he would put on the ground and let it fall. And that direction is where he will go. I have <laughs> used the D100 to determine how lucky that stick is every single time. I love it. I love it. (laughs) And so it's like luck and decision factoring when it comes to NPCs. I use it probably, like I said, like up to four or five times a session. What about you? Mine is, mine is very similar to yours. Um, it is a combination of, of luck and uh, also not wanting to say yes or no. Mm-hmm. Um, it, leaving it up to chance, and what I've ended up calling these—I've said that a few times on the show, I think—but I, I call them fate rolls. Yeah. So I have actually assigned a fate number to each character. They have a set percentage uh, of fate on being on their side. Um, and I'm not going to say what it is because you know players l- listen to this. I'm not giving that stuff away. Um, <laughs> and what I will do is let let's say that uh, like Uthal will be like. Oh, is there a rock that I can throw nearby? And they're in inside a building or, you know, not in a place where there's just rocks laying around. I will be like, uh, and I don't want to say yes or no. So I'll just be like, all right, let's leave it up to fate roll. And I'll roll it, see if it uh, rolls uh, at or under their uh, fate rating. And if so, yeah, there is. Good. Um, and I do that pretty often uh, whenever it just comes up to something of chance like that. But also with... Uh, you know, persuading characters who is just like, hey, you rolled really good, but this goes completely against what they're doing. Yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll make a fate roll for it. I um, like that because you actually applied in a mechanic where you can actually <laughs> adjust well, things. And, and I've, I don't have it like completely mapped out in my head, but I, I have a few times increased their fate rating depending on things they've done in the story without telling them that it's like, Oh, you actually influence something within the world. Okay. Uh, I, I, their, their fate rating gets increased a little bit, but it could, I also know that it can get decreased for doing some things. 
So it's it's a fun little extra mechanic that I do in there that is mainly me getting around not having to say yes or no and being a jerk. Um, That's like for DM perspective, I will say for a player's perspective, something I've seen pretty constantly at my table is it comes directly from my own boyfriend, Spencer. If there's something that he has to decide on, he'll just roll a D100 without saying anything to anyone and then look up at me and just say, okay, I do it. Or, yeah, uh, no, uh, he sits, he leans back and he says, uh, Roland doesn't have anything to say. And it's like, it's, he has trouble personally deciding for his character. And so he lets mm-hmm. the dice kind of help him role play it out. Uh, Ike, my friend, used, or, or our friend used to do that. Uh, he would make intelligence checks against himself and set a DC in his own head to decide if he was going to do something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially I, it really helps with player knowledge versus character knowledge, where it's like, would my character know yeah, this? Yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but as far as the the D one hundreds, that is the main thing that I use them for, yeah. and it's worked out really well. And it, I end up using those dice quite a damn bit. Nice. Yeah. yeah. Uh, if you're prepping for a D game too, you're like, okay, well, there's we, we talked about tables and stuff and piecemealing them from other. Uh, campaign books there are d100 campaign tables where you can pull from uh, but there's also this wonderful website that i'd like to share called dndspeak.com it's essentially just full of d100 tables like on their main page is like uh what is it right now 100 mushrooms and their effects and it's like oh 100 indefinite madnesses or 100 travelers you meet on the road and Mm -hmm. i've even seen one where it's like 100 books you find in a bookshop and it's just yeah. full of tables that you can roll on. And using these tables to prep as a DM has saved me so much. <laughs> and so it's those just are, another those are way. Good resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's another way to use uh, that D100. All right. Uh, Aaron's second question is, uh, I'm, uh, what is your advice uh, you have for creating fun shops names? Uh, I'm trying to uh, help our DM by creating buildings, especially uh, in my character's hometown, uh, in case we go there on the map. But I feel like I'm lacking the uh, in the naming department. Uh, I know I uh, what was I know I X uh, I want X to be uh, a tavern uh, and kind of look like uh, oh my god I I'm screwing up reading. Basically, help with naming things like mm-hmm. taverns and uh, stuff like that on the fly, or even you know out in you know when you're sitting down and planning out a town um i know for me uh naming stuff (laughs) is is kind of funny i stare at a keyboard and i pick out letters and i find words that i like the sound of with those letters and then i find another words that connect with those in fun ways um for me a really good just kind of baseline like you're you're reaching here you are suddenly at a crossroads and in your head as a dm you made up a tavern and when your players are like oh what's the name of it and you're like uh, oh god yeah um one good uh <laughs> a good template i like to use is the adverb creature yeah so like for the a golden good, pony yeah or a, a good example in like literature the prancing the prancing pony it's like yeah you you can or it's like just something that describes something or an action and then a creature. So you could be like mm-hmm. the uh, green uh, 
I don't know, the Green Soldier. You could do that as a yeah. name for a tavern. Um, you could also straight up just Google like pub names. Um, there, yeah. There is a pub name <laughs> I used when we were traveling in England where it's like, oh, yeah, the Green Man Pub. It's like, well, why is it called that? Oh, because they got a little picture of a green man on the door. No real reason other than that. <laughs> yeah, like like that's kind of the fun thing about like the uh, as far as taverns goes that it can just be random like that. Uh, I do like having names sometimes of either taverns or shops be connected to something that the town is known for in some way. Mm-hmm. Um, like if uh, if I really want to like just give a hint of history, I will name the tavern or like the blacksmith or something after like a hero of the town. Yeah. Uh, like, 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 I'm just going to use Avondra. I know that's a god, but it's like, let's say there was some hero named Avondra in this town. It might be, uh, like, uh, <laughs> you do Avondra's favorite pub. That'd be fun. This is, I'm Avondra, and this is my favorite pub on the Citadel. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but like, you could do stuff like that that gives some hint to history or at least gives the idea that there's history there. It makes players or DMs, in your case, Aaron, ask questions. It's like, oh, well, who was Avondra? Uh, what did yeah. she do? Why? What was she known for? Um, or if you want to just even make it more mysterious, you could just be like the unknown hero's tavern um, mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Or you could be a complete sh- lie. You could be like uh, Lyra's chosen, where it's like, oh yeah, yeah, this place is called that because it's the it's the bumping place of to go, and then you go in it's and it's completely dead. Place. It's no one's yeah. in there. It's very sad, and it's just a fun little little story tidbit. But like those ones, I think take a little bit of prep and a little bit of for like thinking ahead mm-hmm. but like if you're We're- totally able to help your dm with that yeah because something that i like to do is i like to involve my players in creating in world building as i go mm-hmm. and so like if uh they ask me oh what's this tavern's name i'll kind of look at them and just kind of be like okay guys uh shoot them at me <laughs> yeah and then they'll just kind of start shooting off ideas and just like in random words be like uh this one and then i'll be like uh, the town is known for this, and they and then they'll try to between five people. You can come up with one pun. Trust me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, that like as far like going off the cuff, mine usually end up just being funny because yeah, I I usually default to comedy. So uh, if I have to come up with a name on the fly, it's probably going to be something funny. Uh, as far as shops go, though, like I usually. I like I because like it's a fantasy kind of thing. Like I usually have the shop owner's name in it or uh, something really like uh, like bombastic in the in the name that's like trying to attract people. Because that I always try to remember is like, hey, it's a shop. They want people to come inside. Yeah. So like I'll try to do something that's just like you know big and sparkly and stuff like that. Um, I do know at one point uh, my players wanted to go into a magic shop and I was absolutely not prepared for that at all. And so they're like, what's the name of it? And I went magic shop and that informed <laughs> that informed the entirety of their experience in there because they met a, a shop owner who just gave no shits yep zero <laughs> shits not a fucking shit in the world just j- j- they came in there and didn't say a word they went up to him asking questions he just gave short little answers and uh they're like oh uh uh hey um you know we want to talk to you about something that's like you know uh like kind of private can we can we go somewhere more private even though there was no one in the store and he's just like only other room is there and he and i had him point at a door that just had a sign on that said the shitter 
(laughs) (laughs) So, like, just naming it the magic shop informed this Mm -hmm. entire character and whatnot for me. Oh, yeah. I had a magic shop that was filled with just really just not actual magic items. Like, my favorite, like, the wand to create wand or the dagger of healing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, And it was called, like, Maestra's Artifacts of Oddities. Where this shopkeeper really wanted to like be like, oh yeah, no, this is like the top tier magic stuff. <laughs> like, but it was like magic tricks. <laughs> yeah, it was just literally like the magic shop at Disneyland. It's <laughs> yeah, it's nothing much. So, so Aaron, I think the the best advice that you can get out of this one is, in, don't just think about the store or the tavern. Think about the people who either uh, work in it, run it, or own it, or even go there or kind of expand out and maybe like what the town itself is. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be the best way to get a good uh, name for a location that players will remember and that GMs will be interested in you know, exploring further. Yeah. Uh, but that's all I got on that. Same here. <laughs> all right, well... That was our show for this week. If you enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, the best way to do that is by leaving a review on your service of choice as well as telling your friends about the show. If you'd like your questions, advice, or stories read on the show, send them into difficultyclass at gmail.com. And if you'd like to stay up to date on the show, you can follow us on Twitter at difficultyclass and on Instagram at difficultypodcast. So, and don't forget to go follow Rumi Romers on Twitter as well. Aw, thank you, Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, until next week, have a good game. Thank you.